Um, Foundation, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I see Dr. Scott. I see Daniel. Some of you have seen some of these slides already, so I apologize for the redundancy for those of you. But I am super excited to share with you what God is doing in Burundi. And it's truly a story of what God is doing. Please don't see me as doing this because it's way, 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 way bigger than I could ever think or imagine. But the church in Burundi would not forgive me if I did not greet you in Kirundi by saying, Amahoro nubunhu wimana Yesu Christo uri muri muebge. That is God's peace and grace be to you. So I'm giving you their greetings and you can rest assured that I will take yours back to them. So what is God doing in Burundi? We can, we're, I'm going to give you some slides so that you guys can see visually because we're in the Instagram generation or the TikTok generation. I don't, have, I don't have 10 second videos. I apologize. It's not how I work. But we can keep advancing the slides if you don't mind. Um, I wanted to start with this quote from C.T. Studd. If Jesus Christ be the son of God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And so like Pastor Mark just said, you know, like we, the gospel costs something. It costs God everything. And sometimes it costs us something as well. But um, I just want to put that into perspective. Like what, what we get to share with people came at such great cost for our Lord and Savior that it truly is a privilege. And I would say that we sacrifice nothing. Um, we are the winners in this because we get a front row seat to seeing what God is doing. There are some things that are difficult, and I'll talk a little bit about those, but um, overall, we are, we are thrilled to be there. So next slide, if you please. This is, for those of you who did not major in geography, Burundi is a tiny landlocked country in East Central Africa in the Great Lakes region of Africa. The, you can see in green, Africa and a big red arrow pointing to the tiny country of Burundi, just south of Rwanda. More people have heard of Rwanda than Burundi, I think, because there was a genocide in Rwanda where 900,000 people were killed in 100 days. Yeah, that was a spillover of the Burundian civil war. It's the same Hutus and Tutsis that have been fighting each other. Um, they've had way too much conflict in the last 50 years. Um, that was Burundi's second civil war. It lasted 12 years from 1992 to 2004 when there was a peace settlement that basically let the majority tribe kind of take over everything, which is good in some ways, but it means that if you're a Tutsi in Burundi, you're really scared for your life a lot of times. Um, we are in Burundi. It looks like kind of an arrowhead, I think. And we're right in the middle. You see a red arrow for Kibuye. Our village is about 500 people. Our hospital is 350 beds and we employ 233 people. So we're kind of like dominating our little village, but Burundi is one of the most densely populated nations in sub-Saharan Africa. So there's just there's just people on every hill everywhere. There's a village on every hill and there's a million hills. So that's Burundi. It's uh, right there on the equator. You can see it's like two or three degrees south latitude. That lake next to us is Lake Tanganyika, the deepest freshwater body in the world and the second largest by volume. It's so deep that there's no oxygen at the bottom. So there's Lake Tikal in your part of the world that's a little bigger by volume. All right, next slide, if you please. This is us. Hopefully those prayer cards are circulating so you guys can see my super cute kids. That's my wife, Michelle. She's gorgeous and amazing. And that's Gabrielle. You can see she's a little bit feisty. She's definitely got showing some of her personality. And then there's Isaiah, who's just our total sweetheart. And he, you can see with his uh, awesome grin. Um, if you think of it, pray for Isaiah. Well, you can pray for them because everybody's sick right now. Gabrielle's just getting better. Um, but Michelle and Isaiah are still a little bit sick. Um, Isaiah's having a hard time transitioning back to America. He left when he was three months old, so he doesn't really know much about life in the U.S. And it's, it's pretty intense here. I don't know if you guys realize this, but life, it's very fast-paced. In Burundi, we say that they live at a human pace and scale. Like, you only go as far as you can walk in a day, and you only do as much as you can between sunup and sundown, which at the equator is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So things a little bit slower there. Um, next slide, if you please. This is our team. Um, last year at our annual 5K fundraiser to raise money for our students to go on and do residencies. Um, you can see there's a whole crew there. We're 41 when you count all of our kids with us. So we have doctors, engineers, uh, a bunch of teachers, some short-term, some long-term. So it's a big mixed, mixed bag team. And what we're doing, I'll get to that in a second, but what we're doing is we're based at a hospital and a local church and we're training up medical missionaries from Africa for Africa because physicians tend to have positions of uh, leadership and authority in their, in their communities. And so they tend to, it's kind of like, like what TMAI does with pastors. We're kind of doing it with medical missionaries and elders, 
if you want to look at it that way. So that's kind of the raison d'etre for our team. Next slide, if you please. Um, people have questions about Burundi. I think there's a lot of faces in foundation that I do not recognize from the last time I was here. So if this is my first time meeting you, I'm glad to meet you. But if you have questions about Burundi, you're welcome to ask them. One that comes up immediately in the minds of many people is, are there snakes there? And the next slide will answer that question. Yes, there are snakes there. Does anybody know what snake this is? Black mamba, nicely done. Herpetologists in the room. All right, yeah, uh, it's called black because the inside of its mouth is black, which means if you can tell it's a black mamba, you're probably already in big trouble. I don't know why God lets this snake exist. It can run faster than a human being. It can raise itself six feet off the ground. It can climb trees. One bite will give you four times the lethal dose as a regular sized human, and they attack eight, six to eight times per, or they bite six to eight times per attack. So why in the world does God let there be black mambas? I don't know. Fortunately, we, they're pretty rare. Burundians hate snakes. They will kill any snake they find on site. And uh, if you're with me and Indiana Jones, the only good snake is a dead snake. So <laughs> we've been fortunate in 10 years, we've only had like two or three snake bite victims and they were probably not black mamas because they survived to get to the hospital. You'll die within an hour if you get bit by this snake. So stay away from the friendly looking, happy little gray snakes. Next slide, please. Um, what other animals do we have? You can click through because this is gonna do the builds. Um, people wanna know, do we have like lions? Do we have giraffes? Do we have rhinos? And the answer to all those questions, unfortunately, is no. Sorry, keep clicking. We don't have any of those. But we do have some pretty cool animals. They're not the safari animals. So Pastor Mark, when you come, we'll take you to Tanzania or somewhere. But the next slide shows we do have some uh, other amazing animals. We've got some impala or gazelle, sorry. Uh, we've got hippos. And does anybody know what cat that is? Ocelot is in Latin, Latin America or Central and South America, but you're close. Bobcat, sorry, no, that's North America. Liger. A liger. <laughs> it's not a liger or a lynx, sorry. These are called serval cats. Serval cats. They have really long, they look like cheetahs, but they have really long necks. So, yeah, we're blessed to have some wildlife there. You can keep clicking through. Um, here's quiz time. You guys didn't know, Friday night, you come to Foundation, you want to be fed from the word, and I'm giving you zoology <laughs> quiz time. But, um, so... Every one I read, you can just click the next one because it's going to give you a little silhouette. So what is the most dangerous animal in Africa? Is it a lion? Lep what? You guys already know? How do you guys all know the hippo is the most dangerous animal? Keep going. This is done. You guys watch a lot of wild crats or something. I don't know. You got nieces and nephews. But what's that, what's that little one over there? You guys? Yeah, I think the mosquito is the most dangerous animal in Africa because, you know, Hippos kill 500 people a year, and mosquitoes bring malaria, which kills hundreds of thousands of people a year. So that's my personal, it's kind of a trick question. Trick question, very well done. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> what do we eat there? Next slide. Some of you guys are gonna love this. Beans and rice. There's like, that has pico de gallo on it because that's the images I could find on Google Images for beans and rice. We do have tomatoes and onions and carrots, so we can do um, some kinds of salsa. Uh, cilantro we grow in our own garden, so that works. We get to eat beans and rice in our family because we're rich enough to have rice. The next slide shows that our, like the, a normal meal for a Burundian family in our village would be beans and corn because the corn grows better where they are and it's a lot cheaper. But you might know, those of you who are nutritionists, uh, that corn is only 8% protein. And so you can literally have a full stomach and be malnourished if all you eat is corn all day because you don't get enough protein in your diet. And so Burundi is, <clears throat> has the unwelcome distinction of being the poorest country in the world by GDP per capita. It is also the hungriest nation in the world by the global, global hunger index. There are probably parts of like Somalia and Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo that are worse off than Burundi, but they're wrapped up with bigger, bigger states that average amount. So tons of malnutrition. There was a time when 60% of kids under five were stunted. So stunted means you didn't get enough nutrition in your first five years, so you will never achieve your full intellectual or physical potential. Like they'll be short and their IQ will be reduced based on their malnutrition. Uh, on our team, we call that the front end of the brain drain because those kids are never gonna perform up to what they could have had they gotten enough nutrition. So we do have a feeding program and an outpatient nutrition program at our hospital. Um, so that is one way to just very tangibly love people in Jesus' name. We bring them in twice a week. They get a sermon, 
like a devotional from one of our chaplains. And then the kids get weighed and measured and they get food given to them and they get fed there and then they get food to go home with um, so that they can get out of that. That's actually for moderate malnutrition. For severe malnutrition, those ones get hospitalized because that's like life-threatening malnutrition. Next slide, if you please. We do have some things to be thankful for though. The best mangoes that you're ever gonna have. Pineapples, how many of you guys have been to Hawaii at any point in your life? Did you eat a pineapple when you were in Hawaii? Do you remember how delicious it was? Yeah, that's our pineapples. And then bananas. We have so many different kinds of bananas in Burundi. I saw that Pius was here like maybe six months ago or so. Did he talk about bananas in Uganda? Because Uganda and Burundi are, they're all like in the same kind of region, cultural. Yeah, there's 40 different types of bananas in Burundi. And they have the, like the little, the little baby sweet ones. The word in Kirundi for those are kamara masenge. It literally means all of my money. <laughs> from, from the old word for money. Because, I mean, we love them as adults, but our kids really love them. And it costs the same per one tiny banana as like one of those big giant rutoke bananas. Um, and so you'll spend all your money on the little ones because you can eat like 30 of them and, before you get full. So we do have some delicious food there. Next slide. What do we do there? Uh, the next slide will show you. This is our, I call it the onion of ministry in Burundi, because as we get into it, we just start crying more and more. No, no, because it has layers. So the first layer, if you please, is like community development and institution building. So this is like, I'll give you some, I'll give you some examples in the next slides, but this is things that are like writ large. You know, we're doing that feeding program that's helping the community. We're building buildings. We're giving jobs. You know, we're employing people to do construction. So that's kind of the community development institution building. Next one is medical care for the poor, uh, which is most of Burundi, as I told you already. So that's, you know, direct patient care. The next one, as we get further in, is clinical teaching. So we're, this is our main um, activity that takes up a bunch of our time, is to be spent in the hospital setting training Burundians to do the job that we're doing right now. Um, and so that gets us all to that core element, which Pastor Mark referenced, which is making disciples. So our goal is that Burundi would be cared for by Christian physicians who know and love Jesus and know and can perform competent, compassionate medicine. And so that's the, our main disciple-making focus is on those medical students and residents, interns, that we can then go ahead and release back into their country so that we're replacing ourselves with nationals because, frankly, we're not the best people for our job. Our students are. They speak the language. They understand the culture. They see and hear and feel all these things that we're never going to acquire as cultural outsiders, and they can live there forever. Like, well, they, not forever. They'll die eventually, but they can, they can live. They don't have to come home and raise support. Um, their families are there. So when they need to take care of an aging parent, they're already there. So next slide, if you please. Let's run through these really quick. Um, here are solar panels at our hospital. As of January, we are 99.9% off-grid for power. We are off-grid 100% for water. We just rebuilt our road and we have a um, Starlink actually for internet, which is so cool because we now pay one-fifth of the price we were paying for seven times the speed that we were getting. So yeah, we can like call home on do video calls. The problem is the satellite every 12 minutes goes off the horizon, so then it cuts. But you know, 12 minutes is a good time to talk, right? If you're a guy. If you're an ER doctor like me, 12 minutes is more than enough. Um, so this is the institution building, right? Uh, we, when we got there 10 years ago, oh, go ahead, you can, you can run that, that text slide. Um, <laughs> When we got there 10 years ago, there was 110 beds for the hospital. I just told you there was 350 now. So we've dramatically increased. We went from about 98 staff 10 years ago to now 233. And so we have like triple the delivery rooms, double the operating rooms, 10 times the physician staff at the hospital. Like these are, these are just numbers, but they represent people. All of these are people that have jobs, that have training, that are competent to do their job, which is wonderful. And it means people are getting helped. Next slide, if you please. So now we're working our way in. This is direct patient care. You can see there's a little kid with a cleft lip and palate. He's awesome. Then this guy was just hanging on one of our railings. Um, next slide. These are, just, these are some other patients that are in our uh, emergency room. You can see that little boy obviously needed oxygen. It's bronchiolitis case. So he was having a hard time breathing and he can get oxygen now because we have power. Like I showed you the solar power, right? That means that 24-7 we have electricity 
because we have enough batteries. And uh, that means the oxygen doesn't get shut off at night. It means that the incubators stay warm at night. It's like real people are helped by these things. Next slide, if you please. There's four little kids. They're like smiling and super cute. This one's actually a really weird case. This was a, a family. They were all pressed up next to each other while the sister, the like, I think she was 14 years old, was like collecting rainwater that was falling off of their roof when she got struck by lightning. And they were all like smushed up next to each other. So the lightning just like transmitted through all of these kids. So I don't know if you can tell, but they have like little burns on their sides where they were like snug up against each other. These guys all did fine. The sister did not do so well. Um, next slide, please. Does anybody, any medical people? Jared, where's Jared? I saw him at some point in time. He just stepped out, he ran away from the, does anybody know what's wrong with this x-ray? The lungs are up, but there's like this little crescent of air underneath that right diaphragm. That means that their intestines perforated. So we are doing, we're performing and training surgeons uh, right now at the residency level, which is a new thing as of last year. So we're uh, really excited that we'll be sending Christian surgeons into hopefully all the district hospitals of Burundi. Next slide, please. This is a story, I think this is one of the stories that Pastor Mark loves the best, and I love it too. I'm gonna to try to tell it super fast because I'm super long-winded. Um, Fantine is what we're gonna call this lady. She came into the hospital in her late 20s uh, with HIV AIDS, multiple opportunistic infections, suicidal, depressed. She had abandoned her, I think he was six or eight years old, her son. Um, single mom, she had made some decisions, right, in her life that had uh, consequences that were really hard to live with. This lady will never be able to get married in Burundian society because it's really um, traditional culture. like. No one will want to marry this woman because she already has a kid from somebody else. And so she's like untouchable. Um, the medical student who saw her presented her to me. That medical student's name is Arlen. Arlen said, she ran me the list. She's like, you know, Fantine is a 27-year-old woman who comes in with a history of HIV, AIDS, opportunistic infections, blah, 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 blah. I said, Arlen, what's the biggest problem that she has um, of that whole list that you just read me? What's her biggest problem? And Arlen said, her biggest problem is that her sins aren't forgiven and she doesn't know Jesus Christ yet. I said, absolutely right. So what do you wanna do? What's your prescription? If that's your, if that's your diagnosis, what's the treatment? And she's like, well, she needs to hear the gospel. She needs to know how she can be forgiven of her sins and restored to right relationship. And I said, that's absolutely right. Do you wanna go with me? Do you want us to call one of the chaplains? How do you wanna do this? Because Arlen was part of our Bible studies and she knew, like, obviously you're getting the sense that Arlen is solid, right? Like she's, she's the real deal. And she's like, Carlin, uh, she didn't say Carla. She said, Dr. Wendler, no offense, but my Kirundi is a little bit better than yours. I'm like, absolutely. So uh, you can go ahead and talk with her this afternoon. Let's meet up together again. And I want to hear how it went. So that afternoon, Arlen came and found me in the emergency room. And she said, Dr. Wendler, you're never going to believe what happened. I was like, I can tell by the smile on your face. That's something good. She said, so I went and I talked to Fantine and I shared with her the gospel of how Jesus died on the cross to, for, to pay the penalty for our sins and rose again to give us new life in his name. And he's in heaven right now advocating for us. And, and all we have to do is ask God for forgiveness and he'll forgive us. Like, guys, this is the gospel and it's so simple, right? It's not easy. It's super costly, but it's really easy to understand. And so Fantine, she, she repented of her sins and accepted Jesus Christ that day. In front of Arlen, they prayed together. Her life, I don't know, if you guys were adults when you got saved, you probably remember this, that like you were on this one path and then God totally changed everything and you're on a different path. I mean, this is my story. Even though I was 12 when I got saved, I was definitely on the wrong path, like trying to be a homie and gangbanger. And then God totally switched it around. I know I look like, don't I? I look ghetto, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> Shut your mouth. All right, anyways, um, I was on the wrong path and it was like, I prayed a prayer of repentance and things changed for me that day. Things changed that minute for Fantine, so much so that the woman in the bed next to her, a 36-year-old woman with inoperable gastric cancer who was going home the next day on palliative care, she tugged on Arlen's white coat and said, hey, I need that message. Tell me what you just told her because I need that. So Arlen shared the gospel with this woman, the 36-year-old woman, and she repented of her sins and got saved that day and went home the next day to die, but with peace in her heart because of what God had done for her. 
Fantine, this picture is taken years later. She, she does not look like the same person. When she came in, she was cachectic. Do you guys know what that word means? Cachectic means you have not eaten enough for so long that you look like skin and bones. Think of like those Holocaust survivor pictures where they're like skeletons walking. That was, that was Fantine before she came in. But you see now she's got some like, she's got cheeks, they say in Burundi. She's got some cheeks. Um, this is her coming to check on me because she heard through the grapevine somehow that I had COVID and she wanted to make sure I was okay. Like my patient has become my caregiver. And every time she comes, this is us in the ER, every time she comes to get her HIV meds refilled, I ask her if she'd be willing to share with all the patients in the waiting room what God did for her at Kibuya Hope Hospital. Um, and she does, so she's our little evangelist. Arlen asked me after she got saved, she's like, what do I do now? She's saved, so what, what, now what? You know, like I still feel responsible. She's gonna be hospitalized for like several weeks to get her healthy again. I said, well, the next steps are, Let's memorize some verses with Fantine because she's going to need God's word to stand strong against the snares or the wiles of the devil, right? Because he's coming after her. If you guys, I mean, you guys have probably had this experience. If you got converted at an adult age, you probably remember that like after three, six, maybe 10, 12 months, like something happened in your life where you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm really saved or like, I'm still sitting. What's going on? And you need, that, you need that fortification from the word of God. I said, we need to find her a friend in her village who will be able to encourage her because she lives a long ways away from our hospital. We, it, we're not gonna be able to like individually follow up on her a lot. And then we need to get her a good church because we're not meant to stand by ourselves. God has called us all into an assembly together. And you guys are doing it right now. Um, and the fellowship I saw beforehand was sweet. And I hope we're gonna have some more afterwards if I can cut it on time because I'm long-winded. Okay, so that's the story of Fantine and Arlen. Um, they memorize verses together. They're still friends in contact with each other. Uh, Arlen is now graduated. She's like going on to do residency in pediatrics. She's gonna be an amazing specialist. But um, this is one story that kind of encapsulates a little bit of like why patient care is such a pivotal moment for taking care of people and training others. So I'm just the next slide is just a bunch of factoids. I'll run through these really quick. Quarter, more than a quarter million people consulted in the last 10 years, um, 60, more than 60,000 patients hospitalized. That includes, or that's not, does not include over 14,000 babies delivered. Uh, 35,000 surgeries, 11,000 ophthalmologic procedures, the first chemotherapy program, the first organ transplant program in the country's history. We're at our hospital. So we're moving things up training-wise and capacity-wise for people who would never have a chance at these things otherwise. Next slide, if you please. Uh, so we're doing clinical training. There's Axel and a guy named Providence. Providence. They're dissecting a cow heart that I bought for them. Axel wants to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, so why not? Cow's heart is just a little bit bigger than our heart, even though cows are substantially bigger than we are. Um, but it's all—it's four chambers. It's a good teaching model. So this is the kind of thing you could do in Burundi that like, I don't think any med school in America would let me bring in a cow heart for the kids to dissect. Um, the funniest thing is it's a really hungry culture, right? So you know what we did after we dissected the cow heart? Yeah, we had cow heart kebabs. Um, next slide, please. They eat meat like once a year. This was awesome. And the heart is good muscle. It's all muscle. It's all protein. Um, this is, there's, there's a white guy in that photo that you guys can see. That's Dr. Eric Arnold. He's, a, he's in his last year of residency at LA County USC Emergency Medicine Residency, where I did my residency, finished in 2012. And uh, he came and visited us for a month. He's a missionary kid from France, Belgium. So he speaks French, which is great because that's the, that's the language they speak in Burundi, their international language. Um, and so he came and did some, some upskilling of our staff, but also some apprenticeship to learn, like, what does this look like? if I want to be a medical missionary from the States. At the head of the bed is Dr. Patricia Bulakali. She's, uh, her name is Congolese, but she's born and raised in Burundi. She, they're resuscitating a mannequin, so don't worry, guys. I'm not exposing any patient. <laughs> that guy, we call him Simon because he's a simulation dummy, so he's called Simon. And then Naig is in the white coat next to it. She's actually a nurse, so everybody who's in medicine wears a white coat in Burundi. It's kind of confusing, but... So you can see that we're all learning together to do these simulations. Um, Dr. Bulakali is now in Uganda doing emergency medicine residency. Um, so she and one other guy are like the, the future of emergency medicine in Burundi because for many, many years, I'm the only ER doctor in the country of 12.5 million people. So it's a lot of people to take care of, as you can imagine. The problem is it's, there's no transportation. So 
people, it takes them an hour at least to get to me. Uh, so they're usually stable if they made it. Next slide, please. So since we've been there in 2010, uh, for the last 10 years, for instance, 2013, 309 physicians trained. When we got there in 2013, there were 300 doctors for the whole country. The National Med School would enroll 300, would graduate 30, of whom 27 would leave the country and not come back. So they had like a 1% retention from enrollment to staying to serve in Burundi. Ours is better than that. It's not 100%. Uh, we've sent uh, several people away for residencies because there's almost no specialty training in Burundi. We have surgery at our hospital. And then there's some like combined programs at the national university that they end up, those ones end up in France or Belgium. Um, we employ our people too, which is kind of fun because I get to work alongside them for a longer period of time. And so I told you we have surgery. We're going for family medicine next. Next slide, please. Here it is, guys. So this is the heart, right? This is the resident and intern Bible study. So these are, I mean, actually, let's see, one, two, two of those guys are in residency training right now. One of them is about to go. And one of those ladies is in residency training right now. So these are the ones that spend extra time with us. This is a voluntary Bible study. They have, it's a Christian med school and it's a mission hospital. So they get a lot of Bible teaching and Christian like ethics, Christian biomedical ethics. But um, this is a voluntary study. And so these guys have gone even further above and beyond. So they are like, these are our people. These are the ones that we get to invest in a lot. And you're spending eight hours or 12 hours a day. You're in the operating room. You're in the counseling room. You're in the emergency room with these, with these residents and interns. Some of them spend five years with us. So they get a good opportunity to, to learn from us. Uh, the good and the bad, sorry. We probably pass along a lot of our pathologies to them too, our problems. But God's working it out. And that's part of the beauties of cross-cultural uh, ministry is that we have a perspective on each other's weaknesses Next slide, please. Um, obviously, I can't just show you pictures of all the doctors because that's not all that we're doing there. Um, one of the most fun things for me is that we've gotten to translate fundamentals of the faith. Have you guys heard of fundamentals of the faith? It's like a systematic theology primer that this church has been put together probably like 50 years ago now. Um, it's been translated into, I think, over 50 languages. We added one. We added Kirundi, a language spoken by 12.5 million Burundians and no one else. But these are the guys, these are four of the five guys who did the translation with me, and now they are teaching it to their churches. So these are church leaders. Um, the guy in the middle with the glasses, he's at our local church, and so he's um, teaching that locally. And then the guy just next to him, they're like the big, the big guy, two hands on it, he is a, like, they call him a superintendent over 17 churches. So it's deploying quickly in his hands. And then the guy on your, the far right is a chaplain at our hospital. And the guy on the far left was an anesthesiologist, uh, a nurse anesthetist at our hospital. He's now in Tanzania doing extra training. But yeah, it's super exciting to see these resources get translated and then deployed. Um, that's one of the most fun things. They were, we went through it in French. And if they finished it in French, they would get a French MacArthur study Bible. And man, you not know how much those Bibles are cherished in a place where most people don't have even one book in their house. Um, so they have a French MacArthur Study Bible, which has dramatically improved the quality of preaching in our church. Real quick story, sorry, I'm, I'm going over, I'm gonna go over time, it's okay. You guys are with me, right? Are you guys still with me? Yes, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, the guy with the glasses, I told you he's from our local church. He, he did the Sunday sermon, the Christmas sermon, <laughs> a few years back before we started this project, which was actually the, the impetus for this project. And he was like, okay, guys, open your Bibles to Exodus. We're going to study the golden calf. And we're like, okay, Christmas story, golden calf. Interested. I'm, I mean, I'll give you, I'll, I hear what you say. It's like the golden calf is an example of the first Christmas. I'm like, I'm intrigued and confused. <laughs> and he went on. I don't know what he was trying to say, I mean, I would like to think it was like maybe trying to worship God, but not in the way that God wanted. Like, because what we a lot of what we do for Christmas, sort of around Jesus's birth, but it's kind of gotten away from us a little bit. He didn't make that argument. I don't know what he was trying to say. At the end of the day, I looked at Michelle and I was like, <laughs> and so I was like, we got to do something. So that's that was actually we're like, okay, we're starting with FOF with the pastors. <laughs> 
and then we'll go from there. I, I tell you what, though, like, to see him now, you would not recognize him as that guy from however many years ago that was. Because now it's like, open your Bibles. Let's take a text. Here's what it says. Here's what it means. Here's what it means now. Or here's what it means to us. Here's how we apply it to our lives. So it's beautiful. And we have dramatically, dramatically improved the quality of preaching, which is huge, right? Because I told you Burundi is a poor country and Burundi is a starving country for food, like just for food, food. But it's also a country starving for spiritual food. The Burundi is a lot like many Latin American countries where Catholicism got there first and then just like blended up with whatever was there before. So you could be a witch doctor on Friday and a priest on Saturday giving like the communion, the Sansen, and then like go slaughtering a goat and reading its entrails later. Like it's, it's a little bit dark. Um, patients come in and they are convinced that there's a hex placed on them. This happens a lot with um, like we had a lady who miscarried for the third time, convinced that her, I think it was her mother-in-law put a curse on her which is crazy because then her, her husband, because she wasn't bearing live children, actually left her. Um, so I don't know what the mother-in-law's intentions were. or if the, I mean, I don't even know what the mother-in-law said that led her to believe this had happened. But when that woman, I'll, I'll call her Devine, when Devine is at the lowest point in her life, right, because she believes that she's under this oppression of curses and hexes and magic, when you can come in and say, can I pray with you? and you pray in Jesus' name, and you pray one of those comfort prayers that's also like a little bit of hope, evangelism, then you have a conversation afterwards, and then you pray again with her, and she gets relief from that, knowing that God is stronger than all the demons, and that God values her not because she can bear live children, but because she's an image bearer of him, that God sent his son to die so that she could live, like, this is powerful stuff, right? This is, this is light breaking into darkness. So they need that too. Um, so we are super excited about the opportunity we have to be there in those moments. We can go to the next slide. Um, these are just some stats, but if you remember one thing from this talk, just one number, one statistic is 1,523. That's the number of people who repented of their sins in 2022 at Kibuya Hope Hospital. Guys, that's like, I mean, and I get it, right? Like maybe not all of those are first time prayers of repentance and maybe not all of them are real because they're worried and like they're going to go back to their life of sin afterwards. But like, that's a huge number. You know, the average church size in America is something like 85 people. So we're planting, that's like, they're not all in one place, unfortunately. That would be much easier. That would make our job much easier. They're all over from all over the region because we get patients from Congo and Tanzania now because they know that they can get quality care. But that's like planting over 20 churches in a year with new believers. I mean, that's awesome. That's, I, like, I, want you to, I want you to see that number and I want you to think immediately, wow, God is doing something in Burundi. Like, I know you guys got a lot of new members. How many new members to Grace Community Church in 2022? It's probably something like that. I don't know. You guys are getting like 100 a month or more. But um, this is amazing, right? This is so cool. So that's the number I want you to, to retain out of this talk. And, um, and mosquitoes. <laughs> uh, we could go on to the next one. I think if you want to pray for us, um, I'll give you prayer requests, and then I'm just going to take a few minutes to try to encourage you from God's word, because this has been a lot of talk about Burundi, but God's word is even better. Um, please join us in praying for Isaiah and Gabrielle to love Jesus with their whole hearts for their whole lives. That's our first, our first mission field is at home with our own families. Um, and pray for Isaiah that he would adjust while we're back on furlough. Um, please pray for more godly Burundian pastors and elders to shepherd the thousands of patients that are coming to Christ at our hospital. We need help. We have a great network of churches and we can refer people to their area. But like I told you before, right? If you can't walk there in a day, you're not gonna go that far to go to a church. So if the nearest solid church is even more than three hours walk away, you're not going because you can't get there, do church and come back before nightfall. And you do not wanna be outside after nightfall right, in a place that's so dark as Burundi. So we need more people to follow up on them. We, our chaplains are phenomenal. I love them. They are great men of God. But 
That's a lot of patience to follow up on, as you can imagine. And then please pray for peace, like real true gospel peace in a country that has known so much conflict. And that peace, as you know, comes from living in right relationship with God, believing his promises, keeping his commandments, right? So the president of Burundi is Catholic, sort of. Um, he seems to be doing an okay job, but if you cross him, you disappear and no one hears from you again. So that's not great. That's not a way to lead, to build a lasting peace, right? So please pray. All right, that was a lot. Now, please open with me your Bibles to Philippians chapter one. We're gonna le- read the last four verses. And I just wanna share a few things from that because um, one thing I've asked the Lord many, many times, why is there an ER doctor in Burundi sent from this church? Because I can't do emergency medicine the same way in Burundi as I do in America. There's like, we don't have a CT scanner. There's, there's like, I think there might be one functional, there's one MRI scanner and I don't think it's functional in Burundi. Um, we can't do that work. I get to carry the gospel, so that's enough. But like Burundians could do it better than me. So why, why this very expensive cross-cultural thing that we're doing? And I have to believe that part of the reason that God is still pleased, because he's been using cross-cultural workers forever. Do you remember this guy named Moses? Cross-cultural worker, right? He was Jewish, raised in Pharaoh's palace, lived in Midian for half of his life before he came back and started teaching and writing a huge chunk of the Bible. David, cross-cultural. Solomon, not as much. But like all of the prophets were cross-cultural. And the guys who wrote the New Testament, Paul, certainly a cross-cultural worker. Luke, who wrote one page more than Paul. The doctor wrote more than the lawyer. I just like bringing that up. Um, These guys were cross-cultural. God chooses to use people who have to go between cultures to communicate. And I think that's part of the reason that God called me and my family to Burundi is so that I could bring you back some things from Burundi, having lived out of this culture for a while. And one thing I see that scares, not scares me, one thing I see that burdens me is how the American church, the California church, deals with adversity. And so I wanted, the God has put this on my heart and I want to share it with you. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind contending together for the faith of the gospel, and in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same struggle which you saw in me and now here to be in me. I'm going to go quickly through this. This is more of like a devotional homily than a, than a full-on exposition. There's a couple of words I want to draw your attention to because if you've studied Philippians, you know that Philippi was this kind of out, it was a colony. It was a Roman colony. It, was, it had special status in the Roman Empire. It was founded by Philip II of Macedon, like Alexander the Great's dad. So it had special status all the time. And to be a citizen of Philippi was like special. You were a Roman citizen, even though you could be born not in Rome. This word for live, he says, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. That word for live carries that notion of live like citizens. So I think this, I put on this like living like gospel citizens. How are we to live like gospel citizens in a a world that's becoming increasingly adverse towards the gospel? He gives really like, I'm going to say four things here. He says, number one is integrity, right? Whether I come and see or I stay away and I hear. That life of integrity. Are you the same person at church in front of the pastor as you are when the pastor's not there. And I think, as, I mean, as soon as I talk about integrity, right, I think all of our hearts kind of like, um, there are things that are different about the way I live at work as opposed to how I live at church. 
there are things that happen differently at home than when I'm around all my Christian friends or when I'm with my homies in the ghetto, you know? <laughs> Spitting slang and smoking rock, you know? Like, we, we, we live differently. Hopefully, you guys are not doing any crack cocaine. And who does crack these days anyways? It's all mess. Um, no, but like integrity, right? Are we the same? And what, and, but what, what does this integrity look like, right? The, it, it, he, he follows it immediately with steadfastness in unity, right? Being of one mind and one spirit as a church. Are we, you know, what is that difference between one mind and one spirit? Are we, are we thinking through things in the same way? Not are we like group thinking, but are we processing through the filter of God's word? And one spirit, are we like striving after that same goal? Is my, is my identity in the, as a gospel citizen so similar to all my brothers and sisters that people could recognize us as coming from the same kingdom or coming from the same country, right? Like I live in Burundi as, a, as an American. People know that I'm not Burundian as soon as they see me. Do you know how? Because my skin color is different. I look different but I also speak different and I act different. I mean, you guys, if you guys have traveled, you've probably not wanted to be that American citizen. They're like loud, boisterous, like have no idea what you're doing, wearing the wrong shoes, getting on the wrong side of the road, you know, getting caught in between the, what do you call it, the platform and the tube subway. Mind the gap, right? Like we don't wanna be the, we don't wanna be the oafish American when we're abroad. But we do want to be the gracious gospel citizen wherever we are, right? Jesus said, right, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. That we have a, it's a unity of mind and spirit. And it leads us to something, right? The next thing is fearlessness, right? That you're not intimidated. You're not frightened. You're not terrified. There's the, that word for what do we have it in the, in the LSB? It's that you would um, be no way alarmed by your opponents. Alarmed has been translated a lot of different ways. But like, there's a fearlessness about this. That I know I need a reminder that I'm standing with the prophets and the martyrs. I'm standing with my brothers and sisters when we take that stance. And I think like, Man, it's so, it's so phenomenal, right? It's a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. When you're not intimidated, when you're ready to lose your job or to get kicked out of your house because of the gospel, it's a sign of destruction for those who are oppressing and opposing you. But it's a sign of your salvation. How is that, how is that possible? Right, because... You guys, know, you guys know the stories of the martyrs, right? Like, recant or die. And they're like, okay, I guess it's death then because I can't say that Jesus is anything other than the Son of God. You know, four score and 10 years I've served him. It's never done me wrong. I'm not gonna abandon him now. I can't, that's not exactly Polycarp's statement, but it's close. <laughs> um, if they can't scare you with death, or shame, or dishonor, or loss. It's because you know the value of the thing you have, right? You found that treasure, you buried it, and you went and sold everything so you could buy the field and have the treasure. You found the pearl, and you're like, nobody else recognizes this. The world doesn't understand how much the gospel is worth. So get rid, like, let it go. Whatever, whatever intimidation is coming your way doesn't hold a candle to the glory that's on the other side. And that is, that is the last thing, right? He says, it has been granted to you for Christ's sake. It has been granted. It's a gift, right? Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's a gift, suffering. I'll tell you guys, what God starts in grace, he finishes in glory, so the gift of faith and the gift of suffering are together in Paul's mind. And it's so, this is so cool, right? Because if you remember in Acts 15, Paul went to Philippi. They were meeting at the river. That's where um, 
the Lydia was from was the purple dye. She was like, she, she repented and got baptized in her whole household and she was a supporter. And then there was this girl following them around. She was demon possessed. And she's like, listen to these people. They're telling you the way of salvation. And Paul's like, after several days, he's like, oh, just be quiet. Come out. And so he cast the demon out, but she was a fortune teller for her masters. And so they lost a lot of income. So then what they do, they beat the snot out of Paul, threw him in prison. He started suffering. Do you guys remember what happened next? There was an earthquake and every jail cell opened. And then the, the, the guard was like gonna kill himself or something. He was gonna fall on his sword because he was scared that he had let all the prisoners out. And Paul's like, stop, stop, stop. Don't kill yourself. Today's the day of salvation. And he announces the gospel and that guy gets saved in his whole household. And then do you remember the next thing that happens? This is so cool. I just watched the essential church and I feel like there's a lot of parallels here. The next thing that happened was the magistrate said, no, no, let those guys go. Because like, obviously there was an earthquake, something's going on here. And Paul's like, uh-uh, I'm a Roman citizen. You got to come down here and tell me yourself that you let me out. You beat me. You didn't even give me a trial. And they're like, oh, snap. Like, we just violated, Philippi, right? The citizenship thing. We just violated a Roman citizen's right to a trial in a Roman colony. This is bad news for us. Paul knew his citizenship rights and he asserted them. And so the magistrates came down to the prison and they're like, we're sorry, can you please just leave? Just, just go, just go, just go. And he was like, fine, I'm out of here. Go hang out with Lydia. Um, and that's what he did. And then he continued on to Macedonia and more people got saved. And you know the story, but gospel citizenship comes with suffering. God let Paul get beat up and thrown in prison before all those people got saved in the, gar- in the jailer's house, before the magistrates got humiliated in front of him and the church was strengthened. Their faith was stronger. And here's the crazy thing. If you remember when Paul and Silas are in prison, they're singing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the sake of the cross. The suffering that God gifts us as gospel citizens allows us to be identified more closely with Christ. And that's where the unity comes from. That's where the identity comes from. He's going to talk about that in chapter two. And it it makes us more like Christ. It identifies us with Christ. And in some phenomenal way, we get to participate with Christ in that. Paul says in Colossians, I do my part on behalf of the body in filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Jesus's work is complete, final, done. He finished it right? You cannot add anything to what Jesus already did, but the world isn't done hurting Jesus yet. So they're going after us if we're in Christ. And that's a gift from the Lord. So I tell you that I see this happening in the world today. It seems like America might need missionaries just as much as Burundi does. And it's going to cost something. I want us to be ready to pay the cost, to pay the price, to take the suffering, because it will be, it'll be counted and counted as a privilege. It will be a privilege and the Lord will meet you in that place. I guarantee it. I know from my experience, but even more than that, I know from the word of God that he is present in our sufferings. So I don't know what that stirs up in your hearts as you hear this word about suffering and there's that you can't be intimidated or you can't be alarmed by anything. If you're like, well, man, do I, do I post that thing on social media? Because people might like not comment or not like it or something. I don't know. I mean, I know I've, I've silenced myself because I'm like, well, I work, for, I work for USC. And if I'm like openly pro-life, am I going to lose my faculty appointment at USC? Because they are not pro-life. If I, if I speak out about some of these homosexual, transsexual things? Am I going to be called a hater? Will that end my affiliation? I'm not saying that you need to go be a culture warrior. That's not what we're about. We're about the gospel, right? But the gospel says, love your enemies. And part of the way we love people is telling them the truth. They need the gospel. It's not loving to let somebody persist in their sin all the way to hell. Social media is one thing, but our families, our neighbors, our friends. We all know people that need Jesus. 
And sometimes it's hard to take that first step to say, hey, can I tell you how your sins can be forgiven? Because it's really simple. You ask for forgiveness from God. That might be a weird conversation. Someone might look at you like, what are you talking about, sins? I live in the 21st century. There's no such thing as sin anymore. I'm like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. Then let me see your wallet. I'm just going to put that here and walk away. You tell me if you still believe it. But you guys know, in your heart, something is stirring. So when, you think of, when you think of taking a risk as a gospel citizen, something is happening in your heart right now, in your mind. You're thinking of something. That thing I want you to pray about. And I want you to tell somebody about. Because I think that we need to be ready. And when you take that step, when you're fearless and united together, and you consider suffering a gift you will get to experience the privilege, maybe of suffering, but if hopefully more of like helping someone know Christ. That's the best. That is so addictive. Better than crack or meth, I promise. (laughs) Can I pray for you guys and dismiss? (laughs) Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the moments of levity and the moments of gravity. We thank you that your word is clear and that you've given us all things pertaining to life and godliness with your revelation and your spirit and your church. God, I pray for Foundation Bible Study that you would give them boldness, that they would have faces like lions, that they would be set like flint to take on the challenges of missionary life in America, of California particularly, of Los Angeles. God, I pray that you would give them encouragement along the way, that you would give them one another, to bear this up together. We're meant to do this together, to be unified. But I pray that you would give them eyes to see the way that you're working. I pray that you would give them fruit and that their fruit would remain, that it would be, that they would get to see people come to Christ. They would get to see the, the blind have eyes opened, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the prisoner to go free because of Jesus. We thank you that you suffered for us and that you counted it a privilege, that you despised the shame and you endured the cross for us in obedience to your Father to achieve this thing that we could never achieve on our own, but to make us your family, to give us your name, to put us in your kingdom as gospel citizens. Bless each one here and make them a blessing, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.